pricing is not simply pricing. Pricing is really value. And I think when people hear value, they think about, oh, the value you're going to give the customers, which is very important. But more importantly, I like to turn the whole thing on its head and talk about the value in terms of what it brings to your company. Meaning, when you select a price, there's a value to the customer you're selling it, and hopefully you're selling on value, but there's also a value of what that is worth to you, not only in dollars and cents, but but over the things I'm going to go over. So let's talk about what goes into pricing slash value and how these factors should help deter- help you determine your pricing model. If you put an ad on a billboard, they're going to charge you, let's say, $3,000 a month to have your ad. They don't give you any guarantee that anyone's going to go to your website or make a phone call. So that is not a success-based advertising strategy. If you even place an ad on the radio or if you place an ad in a magazine or in the newspaper, and for those of you who don't know what newspaper is, it's this paper thing that used to open up and there used to be information on it, but that's another podcast. Anyway, um, but all joking aside, when you place ads in those kind of marketing material, you are essentially committing to pay a certain fee for the privilege of being there. But there is no guarantee that even one person is going to call you, okay? And it may be successful, but again, there's no correlation when when you first set up that account and pay the bill. One of Google's real amazing thing, and it probably explains their unbelievable success, is they, they actually align with the advertiser and said, listen, if someone sees your ad but doesn't click or call you, we're not going to charge you. The next is really where it can really make an impact is on your online business uh, reputation and, of course, social media. Uh, what happens is if you treat vendors and partners and clients and customers a certain way, Eventually, some of that seeps down into social media and your online reputation. So these are three different, some overlapping ways that your reputation as someone who has integrity will impact. It'll impact customers, clients, vendors, partners, and all of that will filter into social media. So we're going to talk about the three C's of know your client. And those three C's are convey alignment, convey confidence, and convey value. So when do you start the process of getting to know your client? I would argue you should start it within 10, 15 seconds of starting that interaction. If they're calling, if they're in front of you, the know your client phase begins right away. And I think the most common mistake people make in the know your client phase is they answer the first questions. Usually, in any sales situation, somebody walks into your store, somebody calls you, and immediately asks about your services, and of course, it'll be in the form of a question. But I would argue that not answering their first question, not as a sales tactic, but actually by understanding them better, will get you further. Uh, For example, you wouldn't walk into a bank and say, could you please tell me what the rate for a mortgage is, right? Because they're going to ask you, well, before we do, is this for a house? Is this for a condo? Is this for a primary residence? Is this for an investment property? 
So people understand that real professionals often don't answer their first question and they actually interpret that question as meaning, give me more information. Now, if you are going to get a partner, this is probably, if you've gotten this far in the video, the main thrust of it. If you are going to get a partner, especially a partner that you're friends with, that you could probably do everything on a handshake, take my advice, don't do it on a handshake. Don't do it and have your, you know, your attorney who also does will and probate and something else write up an agreement. Get a solid agreement that thinks of every eventuality. Okay, so I hope that helps you. Pros and cons of getting a partnership. If you get a partnership, how to deal with it. Uh, so you have the maximal chance of your business surviving and doing well. The number one CEO skill that I want to talk about today is actually not a skill, but a strategy, which is when you're first starting out to seek a mentor or mentors. I find that a lot of people think being a CEO or being a leader is a soft skill, that if people just like you, if people respect you, if you're likable and get along with people, you will naturally be a good CEO. That's almost like saying, you know, if we put you in a 747 uh, at 30,000 feet in the cockpit, you're going to be able to land that plane because people like you and you're well-respected. It's not true, obviously. You're going to need some skills to land a 747. And as long as people think being a leader is just a soft skill and is just a matter of being liked or respected or having a way of talking with people, even if you're charming, uh, and have a magnetic personality, there are skill sets you need, still need to be an effective CEO. Hi, my name is Ashley Arnold, and our team of inspirational leaders have created a comprehensive phone training course to help others grow their businesses. We know how frustrating it is to spend all that time, money, and effort to generate inbound calls for your business, only to end up with little to no revenue. Here at High Call Converting Headquarters, we have taken countless courses, read every book on phone sales, and tried and tested all of our learnings on several startups we've had over the years to find out what works and what doesn't. Today, we have a bulletproof system that helps us close up to 80% of those inbound calls. Our High Converting Call class will teach you how to demonstrate your authority quickly without being pushy. Imagine empowering the caller to come to the realization on their own that you are the best person in the industry to meet their wants and needs in just a few minutes. We believe that many businesses out there can benefit from this, and we promise to help you achieve your revenue goals by converting more of your incoming calls into actual sales. For more information, please visit our website at highconvertingcallclass.com or sign up on our website for more information. Stop waiting for the sales to come to you. Put your revenue into your hands. I think I talked about in my previous videos that the great book called Blue Ocean Strategies where you want to create a company where really your competitors are irrelevant. And I think that's really the filter someone should use in creating a company. So if you're going to be the 10th accounting firm in, in a small to medium-sized company, by definition, you're going to be in a red ocean where you're, for the most part, going to be 
you know, stealing clients from one accounting firm to another, which is fine, and you can make a living on it. But it just doesn't have that endless potential if you come up with an idea or a company that is, in many ways, has doesn't really have competition. Whether it's because of technology, because you've created the space, because you have some inside track on something. So the first thing is hiring. You have to, especially early on, your first three, four, five hires have to be people who are not just going from one job to another and expect to clock in and clock out. You have to hire for ownership. I've done some other videos that you can look at about what it means to hire for ownership, what it means to find an owner. On your 100th employee, it won't be that critical to hire for ownership, that ownership mentality. But I promise you, in your first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, it will be critical. So when you're doing the interview process, you may have to pass on some people who may have the skill sets, right, but don't necessarily have the ownership mentality that you are going to need in your first few hires. But interviewing for ownership is so critical your first year. You screw this one up and you just interview your first five employees are clocking in and out. I'm not saying your business is going to fail, but I will say it will minimize your chances for success. The one thing I do want to ask you um, is whenever you are going to ask any of these questions, I always I always ask permission to ask questions, which is funny because you think just asking the question would be enough. But asking permission to ask questions is a very gentle way of showing one you really are have a question and you genuinely are respectful of their position. So um Starting off questioning with, let me ask you a question, help me understand what's the downside for doing this. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Have we ever thought blah, blah, blah? Let me ask you a question. Uh, Are are we letting perfect be the enemy of good? Uh, Let me ask you a question. If you owned the company and it was 100% your decision, you know, what, which direction would you go? Let me ask you a question. If money was no object, what would the right decision look like in this situation? This whole idea of asking permission to ask a question is very disarming, and it's very polite, of course, but it does show that you genuinely want to find out more information from them. If done properly, I would say, on the times where you are very, very, very certain that that's the decision you've made and that's the decision you want to go in, you can pretty much get to that point without ever having to demand or dictate that that's the direction it's going to go. So rarely do I walk into a meeting and say, I've decided this or we are doing that or we are... I I don't think it's ever a win. Even if you're 100% certain that that's what you want to do, you're better off taking five, 10 minutes and and just going through the process of building a consensus to get to the decision that you had made anyway. 
and what I think is probably the cheapest way to invest in your company and have results in terms of growth is what I call investing in developing and improving what happens when people first come into contact with your company, as I call it, the first touch. Now, for different companies, the first touch looks different. The first touch for some companies, if you own a pizza shop, is often when people may walk into your store. Or if you have an online business, the first touch is when they go online and see your website. For others, it's uh, they may email or use some other form of internet or social media contact to get in touch with your business. But whatever that way is, it's really important to invest in that. And I think people often forget that whoever is going to be the person that first touches that client or customer will dramatically impact their view of that company. Now, that may not seem such a big deal, but often I think people don't understand that you know, your clients that come to you are maybe big and small, but if they all have a bad experience or some of them have a bad experience or not a top-notch experience with that first touch with your company, that could dramatically impact your business. I'll give you an example. Recently, you know, I checked into a hotel, you know, way after midnight uh, and um, it was basically somebody at the front desk, you know, who was obviously working the grave graveyard shift, and I tried to check in, and there was a problem with the reservations. Things happen, but what I noticed is the person actually didn't get up from their seat. Uh, they actually just sat there. Now that may be okay because I'm just one client coming in. But let's say you know I was there to maybe look at the operations of that company to maybe purchase that hotel or whatever. A bad experience for a random client, you know, may, is bad. But you also never know when that bad random experience may be with a potential client that may be a huge client for you. So that's why I think a lot of people think, well, you know, so we lose a few customers if we have bad customer service occasionally or or we don't come off in the best light. But you never know when that phone call or that person that walks in may be a huge potential client or may have a lot to offer you. So I think investing in the processes and education and training in the person that's going to have the first possible touch with the outside world is huge. Next one is a tough one because I I think it could be a video onto itself, and that is admitting when you're wrong. I think a lot of people who are in leadership view admitting when they're wrong as a sign of weakness, that they're not a great leader, but nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, so I want you to practice this next line, okay? Just just practice it at home. You got to be able to say to this other person in your mind, you were right, I was wrong. You were right, I was wrong. You almost have to say that. Okay, and believe me, nothing is worse than a boss who is wrong, but still wants to hold on to part of it. Yes, I was wrong, but you don't understand. You know, given the facts at the time, you know, just it doesn't. Who cares? You know, come clean, and I don't. In fact, you will get more respect, and not less. But I think there is this thinking saying that if I show 
that I'm having second thoughts about my thinking. Let's say you went to the marketing meeting and say, I think we need to push in this direction. And you made a big push and the data came back and nothing could be further from the truth. It helps to own that. Just say, you know, guys, just I do remember that meeting two months ago. I remember I pushed for this. And yeah, I'm here to tell you, boy, was I wrong. This idea that people will think less of you if anything, you'll you'll out be elevated in the minds of many people. Now, getting to know your client often involves asking a lot of questions and asking a lot of follow-up questions to their answers. And I know this runs contrary to people's instinct uh, in business, that if they ask too many questions, that it's going to work against them, uh, that, you know, they're being too nosy. Uh, or, you know, some of this stuff is irrelevant. Um, and, you know, again, within the confines of understanding what they want in terms of what they're coming to you for, I think it is okay. But I do hear a lot with, you know, from people who we train often, hey, I'm a little uncomfortable asking all these questions about their business. I feel like I'm being too nosy. Uh, I feel it's not my role. Uh, people might get upset. What's interesting in reality is that people really love to talk about themselves and they love to talk about their problems. So this is very contrary to the actual experience. Okay, well, if you um, like this video, please comment, like, and subscribe. Thank you so much, and we will see you on the next video. Thank you.